All right, happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there, and thank you for praying for my my father. Uh, Thank you for the way that uh, you as fathers and grandfathers help point to our Heavenly Father's unconditional, sacrificial love. We celebrate that with you uh, today. If you were here with us last Sunday, you know that Will Esler preached an outstanding sermon on the fact that when God does a mighty work in and through us, we need to speak up. We need to tell others why God used us and tell them about Jesus. Like Peter, after healing a lame man who'd been lame for 40 years at Solomon's portico, he he heals him. And if you remember the scene from last week, you know, Peter comes, the man's begging for money. And Peter says, silver and gold, I have none, but what I give to you, I, I say, stand in the name of Jesus, rise and walk. And immediately he was able to leap to his feet and began to praise God. And, and, and people made a big deal about Peter and John since they were together on this. And, and they were like, no, no, it, it was about Jesus. And, and so we need to speak up when God does a mighty work in and through us. We need to tell people that it was because of Jesus. Did you have a chance to speak up this last week? Did you, did you tell somebody about Jesus? You know, as Presbyterians, we're not really known for evangelism, are we? I mean, we, we tend to think that the guys across the street will do all that for us. Uh, as Presbyterians, we're really good at Bible studies. Like, if you want to, like, talk about deep theological issues like justification, sanctification, and predestination, man, we are the place to do that. But, but when it comes to evangelism, we're not really known for that. We're known as more the frozen chosen. I mean, I guess somewhere in our theology, we think, oh, well, if... You know, if you're chosen by God, then somewhere you'll figure out who Jesus is. I don't have to tell you, right? But that's not what Paul says. That's not what John Calvin says. No, we're supposed to, to preach to all. So why is it that as Presbyterians, sometimes we're, we're reticent to share our faith? We're not really bold when it comes to evangelism. New Testament scholar and Presbyterian minister R.C. Sproul, in his commentary in the book of Acts, writes this. If anything describes the difference Between us and the first century church, it is our lack of boldness. If anything is different between us and the first century church, it's our lack of boldness because they were wildly bold and courageous in telling others about Jesus. What was it that made them so bold in sharing their faith? To find out, turn in your pew Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 4. It may be found on page 1160 of your red pew Bible, Acts chapter 4, beginning with verse 1. But before I read God's word, let's call upon his spirit again to guide us in the reading and preaching of his holy word. Please join me as he pray. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you inspired Luke to put pen to paper so that we might have an orderly count of the first century church and how your Holy Spirit moved in and through them. Oh God, by your spirit, move through us this morning. Open our eyes and our ears and our hearts that we might be transformed at the reading and the preaching of your holy word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. Acts chapter four, beginning with verse one. Listen to the word of the Lord. And as they were speaking, they being Peter and John to the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon Peter and John, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. On the next day... Their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem 
with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who are of the high priestly family. When they'd set them, Peter and John, in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is a stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. But when they had commanded them to leave the council, they conferred with one another, saying, What shall we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But in order that it may may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in his name. So they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. When they further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people. For all were praising God for what had happened. For the man on whom this sign of healing was performed was more than 40 years old. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in the city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Here ends the reading of God's word as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Can you picture the scene just for a moment? After being arrested and spending a night in prison, here's a picture, a painting, a depiction of it. Peter and John are brought before the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin were 71 Jewish priests, scribes, and elders who were led by the great high priest in Jerusalem. 
The Sanhedrin were the who's who of Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And it was this Sanhedrin who just a few weeks before had condemned Jesus to death. And now Peter and John stand before these very same men and hoping to be intimidated, Peter and John with with great boldness begin to preach because the movement of Jesus has gone from 120 disciples before Pentecost to remember to 3,000 after that first Pentecost Sunday and now it's grown to 5,000 men, not including women and children. It's, it's taking Jerusalem by storm. And, and most scholars believe that the Sanhedrin were, were concerned. They were worried about the, the movement, this Jesus movement. They were afraid that it might look like some kind of Jewish uprising that would get the attention of the Roman government. And the Roman government would have to step in and, and take over Jerusalem and remove the Sanhedrin from their place of power. And so the Sanhedrin want to keep the peace in Jerusalem. They want to stay in control. And so they bring Peter and John before them to, uh, to have them tried. And the high priest and all of his family members are Sadducees. And Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. And so they're particularly troubled by what Peter and John are preaching, which is the, the resurrection of Jesus. And so here Peter and John stand before this Sanhedrin, this great high Jewish court who, who just a few weeks ago had condemned Jesus to death. And then Peter, with great boldness, begins to proclaim to the Sanhedrin, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. Peter doesn't soft pedal the truth, does it? He just goes right at him. This Jesus whom you crucified, he reminds him that you're the ones who crucified Jesus. He's dead because of you, but he lives because God raised him from the dead. And then Peter preaches the reality that there, is no other, that there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, even in our day, verse 12 sounds a little exclusive. I mean, what about Buddha or Muhammad or Bahula or any of the other religious leaders? Aren't these great men? Our culture tells us that, you know, as long as you're sincere in your faith, you can believe whatever you want to believe. We have religious freedom in this country. You can believe whatever you want to believe. And as long as you're sincere in your faith, and well, as long as your good deeds outweigh your bad deeds, I'm sure when you die, you'll get to go to heaven. But that's not what Peter's saying. Peter's being very clear. There's only one name by which we must be saved. That name is Jesus. Because the Bible tells us that none of us are good enough to get to heaven on our own. The Bible tells us that we're all sinners in need of God's grace. That if we break just one of God's law, then we're guilty of breaking all of it. If we, for instance, if we covet, the 10th commandment, the 10th commandment is thou shalt not covet. If we covet, and our economy is kind of built on coveting, right? I mean, they're always advertising things. You can be as cool as this person if you drink this beverage, right? We covet what other people want, what other people have. If we're guilty of coveting, then it's as if we're a lawbreaker and we're guilty of all of it. James, the brother of Jesus, writes in his epistle, James chapter 2, verse 10, forever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. Just to get a survey here to make sure I, I know who I'm talking to here this morning, raise your hand if you're a sinner. Anybody else a sinner? Is it just me? That's all of us. We're all sinners in, in need of God's grace. 
Buddha, Buddha, Muhammad, and Bahula may be great teachers in the eyes of some, but they were sinners just like we are. And they're dead. But Jesus, Jesus is alive. He conquered sin and death on our behalf when he rose again on that third day. And we have good news to share with others to let them know that because of what Jesus has done by dying on the cross as the perfect sacrifice for our sins and then rising again on that third day, conquering sin and death on our behalf. And we can have the assurance of eternal life, not just the hope, but the assurance of eternal life if we simply believe in him. We have good news to share. So why aren't we more bold in sharing good news with others today? It's like the illustration that Billy Graham used many years ago. If we, if we had the cure for cancer, and one of our loved ones was diagnosed with cancer, wouldn't we give them that cure? It would be cruel not to give them the cure if we, if we have the cure for cancer. Well, the truth is the whole world ha- is plagued by the disease of sin. For we all fall short of God's glory. We have a, a sinful nature that left to its own is prone to wander from God. And we can see from the words of Jesus in, in Luke chapter 16 and in Luke chapter 23 that, well, that we're all going to die. And when we die, there's only two places we go. We either go to paradise to be with Jesus if we have faith in him, or we go to hell, where we'll be apart from God for all of eternity. It's clear from the words of Peter in our text this morning that salvation is only found in Jesus. And there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. If Jesus is the only way to salvation and the life, death, resurrection, and teachings of Jesus seem to point to that reality, then why aren't we more bold in sharing our faith with others? Telling them about Jesus so they could have the assurance of eternal life that, that we so richly enjoy in him. We have the cure to the world's sin problem to the disease of sin, why aren't we giving it to others more often? You know, I imagine we're probably slow to share our faith here in Amarillo because we, well, it's Amarillo. We live in the buckle of the Bible Belt. We assume everyone's already heard of Jesus, right? And in the 21st century, if you want to know about Jesus, you can Google him, right? You just look him up and read a Wikipedia article about him. Or, or maybe we're, 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 we're naive enough to think that you know, as Presbyterians, we believe that, you know, we're chosen before the foundation of the world, as you read about in Ephesians chapter 1. And so, well, if they're chosen, then they'll figure out who Jesus is. I don't need to tell them, right? But that's not what Paul taught. That's not what John Calvin taught. No, we're called to preach to all. Why were the disciples able to be so bold when we're often so fearful? I think that the main reason we don't share our faith is because we don't want to be offensive. We don't want to step on anyone's toes. We don't want to seem like we're condemning or... Or we don't want them to act like we know better than they do, right? We want to be be accepted, not rejected. But the disciples didn't seem to have that fear. Why was it that Peter and John were able to be so bold? I mean, they're standing before the Sanhedrin, the very same men who had condemned Jesus to death. Why is it that they were able to be so bold in telling the Sanhedrin about the resurrection of Jesus? For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. Peter and John are able to be so bold at the Sanhedrin because they have seen the risen risen Jesus. And the resurrection of Jesus changes everything, doesn't it? The resurrection of Jesus lets us know that death does not have the final say for those who call upon the name of Jesus. Peter and John know that even if they're crucified, they're going to rise again, just like Jesus did. The resurrection of Jesus lets us know that Jesus is, in fact, who he said he was, the Son of God, fully God, fully man, 
The way, the truth, and the life, no one comes to the Father except through him. The resurrection of Jesus lets us know that there is no other name given among men by which we must be saved. For only Jesus lived in perfect obedience to our Heavenly Father. And so only Jesus could die as the perfect sacrifice for our sins. Buddha and Muhammad were sinful men. They couldn't pay the price for our sins. Only Jesus could. And those men are dead, but Jesus rose again. He lives. It's all the other religious leaders are dead. And their models for faith is, well, if your good deeds outweigh your bad, but we know that's impossible. That we're all sinners in need of God's grace. So Jesus offers us an invitation to come and follow him to experience the new life that he came to bring. To have the assurance of eternal life. We'll simply follow him. Why was it that Peter and John would be able to be so bold? Because they'd seen the risen Jesus and because the Holy Spirit was empowering them to do so. Notice in verse eight of our text, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. It was the Holy Spirit who gave Peter the courage and the wisdom to speak so eloquently. Peter knows that it's the Holy Spirit who's just used him to to help preach before the Sanhedrin the good news of Jesus. That's why this encounter with the Sanhedrin, uh, Peter and John are, are, are uh, returned to their friends. And as soon as they get back to their friends, they say, hey, let's listen to what happened and, and let's pray that God will continue to make us bold because they experience the joy of being an instrument of God's grace. When was the last time you experienced the joy of being an instrument of God's grace? And just as importantly, when was the last time you prayed that God would give you more boldness in sharing your faith? You know, people often say you get what you pay for. The idea is that if I pay a little for a product, I'm probably getting a cheap, poorly made product, and so it's not going to last long. So I need to pay a little more money to get a better built product so that it'll last longer. I think when it comes to evangelism, we get what we pray for. If we pray that God would give us boldness, if we pray that God would give us the words to speak, if we pray that God would give us opportunities to tell others about Jesus, I believe God will faithfully answer those prayers. I've told this story uh, a few years ago, but it, it illustrates so well of what I'm talking about that I, I've got to tell it again. Several years ago, I was uh, in the Burbank airport, and I was trying to catch a flight back to Amarillo, and I could see on my ticket that I had a connection in Denver with Southwest Airlines, and that I had 45 minutes originally to get from my uh, gate, in, uh, one gate in Denver to my connecting flight, but the plane to Burbank was 30 minutes late. And I was in group B. It wasn't looking good for me to get on that connecting flight. And the Denver airport is really large. So I started praying, saying, God, I need your help. I'm in group B. That's not good. Could you get me a seat up at the front? Just one seat. In fact, if there's somebody you want me to share the gospel with on that front row, I will do it, Lord. Just give me a seat up at the front, Lord. Please, could you help me out? Thank you. Amen. Well, I'm in group B, like B15, B20, something like that. I get on the plane, and there it was, front row seat in the middle. Now, it's not a seat I would have normally chosen because there was like this really large, sizable African-American woman right here at the window. There's a pretty sizable Caucasian guy like in the, in the uh, uh, aisle seat, and I was gonna have to squeeze in between the two of them. That's not what I would normally choose. But I was like, man, I gotta get to my connecting uh, gate. And so I, I told the guy, I apologize. I said, hey man, I'm really sorry about this, but I need to sit there because I've got like 10 minutes, 15 minutes to catch my connection in Denver. Is it okay? And he was real nice. I, I could tell he'd been drinking. His breath kind of smelled. And so <laughs> he said, yeah, man, have a seat. And so he sat me down. Plane took off and they, they served the drinks, you know, and ordered, ordered a soda and he ordered another cocktail, you know, and just started making conversation. I said, so, uh, you know, is Denver your final destination? He said, yeah, actually, uh, my, my wife and kids live right outside Denver. I said, oh, that's great. Were, were you in Burbank for, uh, for business? And he goes, well, actually, I've just started a new job. I said, oh, really, what, what, what business are you in? He goes, well, I'm in the video on demand business. 
I'm going to be honest with you. I'm a minister, and so when I hear video on demand, I think about boxing. You know, like you can order those main events on video on demand. So I'm like, oh, like with boxing? Is well, actually, no, I, I, I work for the Playboy channel. I set their video on demand business. <laughs> I, I just pray, Lord, if you want me to share the gospel with somebody on this plane, you just let me. I'm like, oh my gosh. And so then I'm sitting there thinking, Lord, help me. I, I'm going to need help with this one. So I just quietly pray, God, help me. Give me the words on this one. And so I, I turned and said, oh, well, that's interesting. Do you like your job? And he took a shot of his cocktail and he goes, oh, I love it. <laughs> I smiled at him, kind of nodded my head, I assumed you would. And uh, I said, uh, well, that's, that's real interesting. And he, he says, yeah, yeah, so what do you do? I said, we're not going to believe this. Uh, I'm actually a Presbyterian minister. And as soon as I said that, the African-American woman next to me starts wailing, laughing. She's so, it's just hilarious to her. <laughs> now, here's this guy with the Playboy uh, television and then Presbyterian minister right next to him. And, and so she's laughing, he starts laughing, and he's, oh, wouldn't you know it, a saint and a sinner sitting right next to each other on the plane. And I said, well, actually, we're all sinners. That's why we need Jesus. Because he could pay the price for our sins with his death on a cross. I, I'm no better than anybody else. We're all in need of his grace. And we began to talk about what he believed about God, what I believed about God, and we actually exchanged business cards. I, I gave him mine. I said, hey, man, if you ever have any questions about Jesus, let me know. And he says, well, hey, uh, here's my card. You should use this in a sermon someday. I said, I think I might do that. <laughs> now, I didn't, believe, I didn't bring this Playboy employee to Jesus that day, but I did plant some seeds. In fact, I, I linked into him, and I found that he's actually now working for Verizon, a much better company, so I'm glad to hear that, that that's changed in his life. When was the last time you had a chance to share the gospel with somebody? to tell someone about the good news of Jesus, to be bold in your faith. And just as importantly, when was the last time you actually prayed that God might make you bold in sharing your faith with someone? Notice how the disciples pray for boldness in our text this morning. In verse 24, we read, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. By addressing God as sovereign Lord, our supreme ruler who is in power, who created the heaven and the earth, the disciples are reminding themselves that everything that happens is according to God's will. God is very much in control. It doesn't rest on them. It's in God's hands. And so we need to come to him as the sovereign Lord. As they go on to say, everything that has happened has been predestined. Jesus' death was predestined. Their persecution was predestined. Jesus told them that, that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so they know the persecution is, is bound to happen. But they also know that God is in control. And they begin to pray Psalm 2, highlighting the fact that they were very well versed in the scriptures. They had spent time reading, meditating, and praying the scriptures. So as they pray Psalm 2, and through the lens of scripture, they can see that everything that's happened is a part of God's greater plan. And so when we come to God asking for boldness, we need to recognize God's sovereign power, that, it, that he's the one who's going to give us the words to speak, that he's the one who ultimately converts someone to him that opens their eyes. We need to rest in him. Now, I'll be real honest with you. If I had experienced what Peter and John did, I'm not so sure I would have gone back to my friends and prayed for boldness. I may have gone back to my friends and said, man, we just escaped near death. It was crazy. You should have seen that. You know what? I hope that, let's pray that the the Sanhedrin, that God blinds the Sanhedrin or he wipes them out or something. I would have probably prayed one of those prayers or or prayed that, you know, maybe the persecution would stop, that that somehow we'd be able to keep preaching. But, But they pray for boldness. I pray for boldness because they just experienced what it was like to be an instrument of God's grace. Do you know what it's like to be used by God to point someone to Jesus? Have you experienced the power of the Holy Spirit working through you to tell others the good news of Jesus? If we will pray, I believe God will use us to point others to him.
What might God do through each one of us this summer if we would faithfully pray each and every day that God would make us bold like the first century was bold? That by his Holy Spirit, he might give us the power to be bold for him. How might God use us to help point others to Jesus? If all we did was pray, if we prayed for boldness. Let's pray and find out. Please join me as we pray. God, we thank you so much for the witness that we have of Peter and John coming to you, our sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, knowing that all of creation is in your watchful hand and your guiding hand is in our lives by your Holy Spirit, Lord, that may you use us to be a bold witness of your amazing love. Through our words and our deeds, Lord, help us to point others to you. And we be bold as Peter and John were bold for you. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ. And all God's people said, amen. Please rise for our closing hymn.